welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. I'm your host, Christopher, here again with Tom. Tom, how you been? Oh, just peachy. You know, the world's just a spinning around. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes it is. No denying that. Hey, speaking of spun- spinning around, uh, I've been continuing my Babylon 5 watch. Oh, yeah. Or rewatch, I suppose. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in season two. So we are, I'm up to Bruce Boxleitner. So it gets really fun at this point because I just make a drinking game out of it. And every time Bruce, Bruce Boxleitner uh, character mentions some old earth saying, quote unquote, I take a drink. Yeah, well, you're still here, so <laughs> <laughs> must not have gotten too bad yet, but keep going. And you got to play catch up. I may just crossed the third the end of the third season into fourth now so mm. i'm about to start for episode one yeah i don't know how far i'll get it was just it's because it's on that hbo plus and i went ahead right. and um re-upped it for another month but i i imagine this month will probably be my last month so however far i get in these next few weeks it's been fun it's a you know some good stories uh, i've realized that the dr franklin is a doctor of questionable morals <laughs> yeah he's kind of terrible <laughs> he he makes some real that's not that's not good thing for your doctor to say or to do <laughs> with a couple people no there there's that and actually it granted uh you get to third season and he has his own little mental breakdown and all that but it just occurred to me that the, almost the entire second half of the third season, he's not really there. I don't know. Maybe he's uh, talking with HR about making comments to uh, uh, Ivanova about uh, when she comments about her, her her weight and becoming the expanding Russian front or something like that, and he makes a comment like, hey, you got great borders. <laughs> You're her <a> doctor. <laughs> <sighs> well, he's got eyes. So... <laughs> <laughs> I always crushed on Ivanova. And speaking of old TV, this is something that came up earlier this month. A little surprising that it's actually... I, uh, I don't know. I, I say a little surprising, but I, I'm not sure. But NBC has actually given the official green light to a Night Court sequel. I saw that with uh, Militia Rausch uh, of uh, Big Bang Theory fame uh, in, the, in like the lead... With John Larroquette from the yeah, original yeah. joining. It's going to be written and executive produced by Dan Rubin, which is based, of course, on the original series, uh, 
created by uh, Reinhold Weege. And it's going to... The show will center on an unapologetic optimist judge, Abby Stone, played by Roush, the daughter of the late Harry Stone, who follows in her father's footsteps as she presides over the night shift of a Manhattan arraignment court and tries to bring order to its crew of oddballs and cynics, most notably former night court prosecutor Dan Fielding. No idea why Dan is there. Uh, I'm assuming he's not still prosecutor. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there. Yeah, I don't know what his role is intended, and they haven't so much as really listed that he would go on to be the same prosecutor. It's a long time doing an arraignment prosecution role. Maybe he's now further up the chain, but I don't know, likes to hang out there or is his office is nearby. Who knows? Uh, yeah, no other details have been released, obviously, and this won't be anything we'll see for some time yet. Right. If at all, because they're only calling for the pilot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if the pilot, once they get it done in filming, you know, the suits may take one look at it and go, yeah, we're not putting that on the air. <laughs> But it does, uh, well, we've always kind of, uh, you almost wonder that there's no new things under the sun. I mean, the movie industry is constantly rebooting and redoing past glory over and over and over again. So I just want to know how long till we get the uh, Gilligan's Island reboot. I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened. That was a truly successful series. Why haven't we tried? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's what people think, you know, when you think about Survivor. <laughs> or uh... <laughs> uh, When they all start showing up in turned down uh, sailor's caps <laughs> and bright red shirts. As far as the Night Court sequel goes, I'm just not sure... I don't know. I, I just feel like the, the day of the sitcom, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just don't watch sitcoms anymore. But it, so in my mind, the day of the sitcom is past. But well, then there are, the, you, you mentioned Big Bang. I mean, she, uh, she's coming from the Big Bang Theory, which was a highly successful situation comedy that lasted several years, only just ended, what, one, two years about ago? two years ago, yeah. Yeah, so... I guess it's just me. I, I, the sitcom is no longer something that I seek out, but I guess it's still popular. I just, I'm thinking of the original Night Court and the way it was, and it's like, if you watch that show now, you're you're thinking that would never fly today. It just wouldn't make it. It wouldn't work. So I'm curious what they're going to bring. You know, what new angle are they going to bring to this that's going to make it relevant and you know something that might ha stand a chance in today's uh today's world well that that is kind of the thing like uh the sitcom well one the sitcom was what you got because they were they were quick they were cheap and you were a captured audience back in the day i mean you you had the three networks and that was pretty much it um cable didn't do much for that originally because it would just reran all the stuff that was already on. So right but now that we're in the new golden age of television, where if you've got some solid writing and some decent acting, you can actually get 
your stuff on the air and it's superior to a it's superior to a great many films in a lot of cases so i don't know who sitcoms are for now <laughs> i mean right i've seen a few yeah, others yeah. that are i i don't even under fully understand the the premise but there's there's one that i keep catching glimpses of where supposedly the woman is going to live in the house with the guy who she could be a kidney donor to. Oh, sign me up. What station's that on? Right. And, and I'm like, <laughs> they, they ran the commercials for this and you get the premise out of that. And you're like, and I'm tuning into this. Why? <laughs> right. So, yeah. It, from my point of view, any network sitcoms are just created so TBS will have something to show in a couple years. <laughs> yeah, but even TBS manages to run out there and uh, run some of its own independent stuff that's better than some of this stuff that rolls out. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it starts Daniel Radcliffe, but every time they reboot the season... Uh, yeah, no, uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> he he's the main he's the lead uh, actor on a comedy series that gets rebooted every season. Okay. The pre- premise being is they just re- tell a, another the, the like the first year they were all angels and <laughs> they were trying to convince God not to end the were the world. Um the second season, um, he was the prince in a medieval uh, kingdom, and it was the absurdity of the fact that he is the, a sensitive soul in a murderous land. Well, well, I guess the idea of you know rebooting something of American Horror Story kind of did that to, to right. some re, to some level, um, and was pretty successful for it. So. I guess it's not too terribly surprising. Yeah, no, this is like the comedy, the, the, the situation comedy version of that. They get to right, they yeah. get to reinvent it. They use the same actors, but it's not the same story, and it's not the there. There's no lead. It's a solitary story from beginning to end on this on the uh, season, and then you start all over with something new. <laughs> They've got a third season coming out, so. Yeah, all right. So, yeah. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Sure. Uh, I mean, even we've we've talked off mic that even Night Court at at a certain point couldn't do Night Court right. anymore. So seeing them try again now in 2021, 2022, whenever this thing comes out, and with a, with a female lead, which also makes me think, I've seen how female leads have been treated in – yeah. <laughs> you know, in television boy this could get old quick <laughs> we'll hope for the best but we won't be surprised if we get the worst another thing too outside of Big Bang Theory I've not seen her in anything else to know what she's like um, right I don't and, even uh, know well you'll be happy to know that the voice in yeah the voice in Big Bang Theory is not her normal so. <laughs> yeah that's good that's good. I was going to say, because if it's um, just, what, what's her name? Bernadette? Is that what she was in Big Bang Bernadette, Theory? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. If it's just Bernadette in a judge robe, I'm like, no, that's I'm not watching this. <laughs> no, but from what I gather from the actress herself, uh, she wouldn't she wouldn't do that again. Um, Good. She's All actually right. had some varied roles. Uh, she was actually uh, on the True Blood series as well. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know idea. Yeah, no, uh, she was one of the more minor characters, but uh, but yeah, she spent some time on there and uh, way different than <laughs> than a Bernadette. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So. Yeah, we shall see, and it'll be fun. I I like seeing John Larroquette when he pops up. We watched that uh, the Librarians uh, series, oh, okay, uh, which he appeared for a f- several seasons, and yeah, I'll admit it. There was times where it's like. I'm just watching for the scenes with John Larroquette. There's a lot of episodes where it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Oh, look, John Larroquette. <laughs> <laughs> Make the most of what you got. That's all any kind of news or anything else I, that I can think of. Um, we did watch another screener. Do you want to go ahead and talk about this thing? Uh, well, we, we we should for uh, as a warning to to the population so out for there. This, for this one. Now, I've I've said it before on here. I loathe really knocking an independent film. Of course. Um, and, and you've said it too. You know, I did. You, we can't make a movie. You know, someone made a movie and got it out there and got it distributed. That's a hell of a lot of work. No, cu- and I, kudos. No way. Yeah, kudos. I'm in no way trying to. Um, <sighs> downplay that or anything um it's just that this one i'm just not sure how they found the distribution or whatever uh wrong place wrong time 2021 writer director justin price and i'm looked at the credits that i didn't see but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that he was also the editor uh i did see he was also you know he was the director, writer, director, cinematographer. Uh, like I said, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was the editor. This came out uh, on demand May 4th. It's about a team of mercenaries who plot to steal $14 billion of laundered mob money. After an apparent double cross, they find refuge in the middle of nowhere with a mysterious family carrying an unsettling secret. They discover the man of the house is a creature of the dark and they must fight to survive the night. That is kind of a mishmash of how it's presented on all the uh, PR stuff and uh, what I um, gleaned from what I could make sense of this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was literally just a collection of scenes and moments that Justin Price thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if... And he put them all together. Wouldn't it be cool if... There are these guys, and there's this, this big shootout in the middle of the city street, and I see the bullets and the, the blood. And like, yes, that would be cool. Okay, what are you going to do with it? Well, from then, we're going to go to where they're all sitting around and talking about the, you know, the, the next big crime in a warehouse. All right, yeah, I guess that's cool. It sort of ties in. That's fine. All right, what's next? All right, then they're going to be in a minivan, and one of the guys bleeding. Wait, how, why? How? Yeah, it, it, it didn't go down well. Oh, we're just not going to see it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And they get to the house, and there's these weird people, and they're, like, chained to the seats in the kitchen. All right, yeah, that's creepy. That's weird. Why? 
We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read another review, and I wish I had thought of this. They said this thing, this film was like um, watching a squirrel hopped up on cocaine. <laughs> uh, I wish I could get the full list of uh, of Jim or Justin Price's credits as well. Uh, I, I want to know who did the music. Because one of the things that was driving... It, it, it was driving a drill through my brain was that there was essentially one person holding it down the key on a keyboard. And <laughs> that played for about 30 minutes through the movie until they decided to pick that finger up, put it on another key. <laughs> mm. Like, there was at no point where it didn't stop. It just droned on. And, like, there was no yeah, moment well, where we could take a breather and just sit. The mu- it, it, to say that it was music would be an abomination to music. <laughs> that may explain why the first time I tried to watch this, I fell asleep about 30, 35 minutes in. And I was so annoyed with the film that I didn't even bother to go back and watch the last half of the movie until just last night when I decided, well, if we're going to talk about this, I should probably see the end. (laughs) You got to finish it. Yeah, so I did go back and and finish it. Um, Yeah, even some of the music, it's like, because the movie, it ends on like this real fast-paced, hard rock, you know, like, yeah, that's a good action vampire song. What's it doing in your movie? Um, well, and why did you save it for the end credit? Because there was no place to put it. There was no scene that could it would actually time with in the in the actual film. Um, we are dealing with apparently vampires, I guess. In this, the the big baddie looks like a knockoff from the. Uh the old Keanu Reeves, Gary Oldman, Dracula one, like when he's full-on bat minus the wings. Yeah. And apparently likes to constantly dress and undress. Yep. Because you see him in his full bat, and then the next scene, he's back in his in a bloody shirt and slacks. Yeah, these little... Do you just constantly get to put this put your pants back on every time you decide not to be vampire dude? <laughs> Yeah, see, now, when when we first were offered these up and we had our little synopsises to read through, I was kind of really digging the idea that this could be uh, a genre-crossing thing, the notion that you do have the these, essentially, these Robin Hood characters. They're trying to steal from... They're stealing from the drug cartels to to give the money to the 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 people in the area that they're hurting that these things are hurting or at least that's where the girl the 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 main lead woman's character was at um okay i completely missed the, that the one lead <laughs> the the one lead uh, guy that was with her to uh he he had a, a a little touching moment with a kid that just lost his mother to a huge blood gushing thing on his uh, face. It, it was kind of a disaster, yeah. but I mean, I was looking forward to this notion that, okay, 
it's possible that in a world where you're doing something like this, that if this um, otherly worldly thing is still in your world, you could run up against it completely out of nowhere. I mm-hmm. I liked the premise. Yeah, they totally didn't pull it off. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, we—I was given a, a long list. We were all—we were both given a long list of potential screeners, and just basing on the synopsis, you know, these are the ones that sounded interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. The whole idea that this could be just normal people doing their things, and then suddenly, well, normal people, <laughs> quote unquote, um, and then suddenly come face to face with something like this, like, all right, all right, that sounds like it might be. It might be all right. Didn't start out bad. I mean, you start out in the midst of a firefight in the middle of a street. You don't know where. You don't know why. Um, but it's all practical gunplay, mm-hmm. which was impressive. No CGI muscle flashes or anything like that. You actually see the cartridges being, you know, and hitting the streets. And it was all done kind of artistically. A lot of, a lot of slow motion and everything. Maybe a little too much. But okay, you you got me. You got me. Uh, but then, you know, civilians start getting hit, and you still don't really know what's going on. Um, but then they'll get in the, the, the truck, and they uh, they drive off, and then the camera kind of does the, the sort of drone shot, and you see them drive away, and you see the name of the film, wrong place, wrong time, kind of in the asphalt as they drive by. I'm like, okay, I'm digging this so far. I like, I like where you're going. I like the style. And mm-hmm. that's about as far as they get with me. <laughs> After right. that, it really falls apart. Yeah, 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 because that, well, see, where it went wrong was when the characters started speaking. No, I kind of agree. And the sound mix on this is awful, because it's another one of these films where everyone's talking like this, and then there's an explosion! (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, they're all in their deep Keanu Reeves moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, uh... Yeah, first off, that none of them play off of each other well. The dialogue is terrible. Um, uh, th- the dialogue is no different than the scenes. It's just, oh, wouldn't this be a great line? Yes, it would. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they just, ah, oh, it was... It, it became painful to watch a- after a while. I mean, I... I, I I put it out there on Facebook when you first uh, made note of uh, the film. Uh, like th- it was just so hard, and it was all over the map. And it was frustrating. It was very frustrating because, like you're talking about, they're they're planning the big, the fourteen billion dollar heist. They're talking about it, and like you pointed out, the next thing you know, one of the people is wounded, and they're they're on their way to this house. We don't even know why this house. Um, nope. But they're on their way to there. That's where they're deciding to to stop. We have no idea why, but we don't know what happened. It did terrible job getting you invested, but you were invested in a, what was about to happen and you got no payoff. Well, I should mention too that the one that's bleeding out in the back of this van is the guy that no one really seemed to like just a few scenes earlier. Right. You know, in the garage when they're all discussing this big plan, this guy looks like no one wants him around. Now he's bleeding out in the back of the van and like, we've got him to get to the hospital. He's not going to make it. I'm like, what do you care? 
You're supposed to be all hardened criminals. Right. Well, yeah, because this is even the same guy, because apparently one of them is a is a stooge for the cartel and is going to sell them out at one point. And in the dossiers that he has collected on his fellow uh, criminals, this guy is a blank. Uh, they, they don't have any information on him. And somehow... Some way he might even be a beastie too. Not that we get any context for that. No, he's in the house. He finally dies, and he turns into weird demon creature because he's got scars and tattoos on him. That's it, and that's after we walk it. Now, correct me, tell me I'm wrong. They go into this house. They're looking around. They're going through all the rooms. Don't find anybody. They see the two women sitting at the uh, breakfast bar or whatever at the uh, in the kitchen, at the bar in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And they realize they're shackled by their feet. They're just sitting there staring straight ahead, not moving. Really creepy. I'll yeah. admit it. Creepy scene. Yeah. Great idea. That's all we see until a few scenes later, someone mentions the family in the kitchen and then go in and pull off burlap sacks of people that were also sitting on the floor to the side of them. Am I wrong? Did we not see them until we went in there later? Yes. For someone to go get them? Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> did did Cousin Jim and, and Vera happen to come by that day? And they're like, hey, you want to be in my movie? So here's where I'm at with this. <laughs> I don't know if there was some piece of treasure that was left out of this film that would help explain any of these things, or if those things were so much worse that we were given an opportunity to not have to watch them. Yeah, you really wonder, did the uh, SD card go bad that day? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. And he had to work with what he had. And, And Justin, my friend, I mean, again... You, you got your movie made. You had a vision. You put it on film. You got it released. People get to see this. Try again, buddy. <laughs> All right. Say something nice about it. The effects, the makeup and the gore effects were really well done. No, absolutely. Uh, actually, and even though I felt like the vampire... Um, was probably taken from something else at some point. The suit looked good. The suit looked really good. Yeah, no, you're right. I I imagine that might be a rented piece kind of thing, um, from some or 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 taken from some other production that he got a hold of. I can't imagine that was created for this film. But no, that that looked great. It looked great. Of course. Try to understand what you want your creature to be capable of and not capable of, because for something that was a supposedly a killing machine, when it came down to your heroine, he, he never seemed to be able to land anything. <laughs> and that's another thing, too, that really annoyed me that everyone started running around with, quote-unquote, stakes of wood that were literally like the most dullest, non-threatening... <laughs> The, the one guy that dies and he gets thrown against an upturned table and is some... Apparently when you die and become demon creature, you become 
very, um, well, let's just say not very resistant to three-inch flat, <laughs> you know, uh, table legs. If you can take these guys out with the uh, the little child size Louisville Slugger uh, that they give you at the baseball games, not super scary. No person could throw a body hard enough to actually impale them on an upturned three inch thick table leg. It just doesn't work. And then she's going around like like some sort of badass with this little this thing of wood. It just looks like the edge off of a shelf or something. It's not even sharp for crying out loud. They didn't like break a piece off so it had a point. Yeah, and I'm I'm still going to come back to to the sequence though where he's supposedly hunting her down and it turns into this really terrible uh scene at the car where he can't manage to get in, and then he goes to an open door, and he's crawling in after her, and she's crawling out the other. It was so... After all the stuff that this thing was supposed to be capable of, including flight, uh, mm-hmm. it was just like a an enormous letdown that this is our climactic scene. There was a lot of scenes that I thought were cool. As I've said before, sure. uh, the uh, the police officer that shows up at the door, because apparently there's been reports of a disturbance in this house in the middle of nowhere, but the neighbors from three miles away or whatever heard something. Yeah. And she comes to the door, and um, she ends up trying to help another girl that was a hostage. The point of view switches to her body cam footage, yeah. which... I don't remember actually seeing on her, but anyway, it does. And, you know, she's backing away, and then suddenly, you know, the, the whole view suddenly gets lifted up, and she's, like, flying through the air and screaming because, you know, apparently this creature's got her. Like, That's not a bad no. shot or a bad idea. It's a great, you know, it's really effective, but it's just like, why is it here? Because you thought it looked good. Right. Yeah, no. You you you, you figured out how to do that. <laughs> and yeah. you wanted it in your film, but you didn't bother to actually give a reason for any of these things to happen. <laughs> right. No, it, it it's just a collection of, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? And wouldn't it be cool if they said this? But it does it's not coherent. It's yeah. just so scattershot and just just thrown together it's it's a it's a clip show <laughs> <laughs> this had more potential as pieces yes um i'm trying to yeah. see uh, if there's anything around the budget on this thing i i don't mm. i don't see any actual information on that kind of, kind of stuff so no i wouldn't imagine on um, it's rare that you find it on something like this, on an indie like this. The only thing I can guess is that this is how... This is a self-funded project. This is this got made because this guy wanted to get this made. Oh, no, absolutely. This is most likely uh, maybe some amount of Kickstarter and whatever his credit limit was on his credit card. <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably. So, again, kudos to you for, uh, for getting your vision out there, but... Let somebody else read it before you actually make it. Yes, yes, yes. That that's my tip is let get someone else's opinion on it before you start filming. You know, get show them the script and and give us some characters 
that we can actually root for. I mean, a film full of people that aren't good people are suddenly faced with evil demon people. It's like, who who am I rooting for here? Who do I want to come out on top? Right. Owen, you did catch at the end. Oh, it's a... Another hey, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't yeah. this look cool? Uh, you can't see it, podcast uh, listeners, but I got my head in my hands because it's just <laughs> that kind of ending. Yeah, they 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 pull out a Dracula reference. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, is that what that was supposed to be? Don't, you didn't catch what they call what the uh, old lady called the woman that survived. No, I missed uh, it. it. It referred to her as Van Helsing. Oh, see, I, I must have missed that in the very quiet dialogue. Of course. Well, actually, the woman at the end was driving me crazy anyways because she didn't stop smoking the way that she was smoking. I was getting physically ill watching her smoke. <laughs> yeah. She smoked like someone who doesn't smoke smokes. <laughs> or someone that does nothing but smoke smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it was incredibly... uh, It was like, okay, I can't take it. (laughs) So anyway, folks, wrong place, wrong time, 2021. Watch at your own peril, I suppose. You've been been warned. (laughs) I I hate to say it, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're a gore effects fan, check it out. Sure. Otherwise, don't bother. Feel free to use the mute button and, <laughs> and fast yeah, forward yeah, um, yeah. vigorously. <laughs> All right. Well, with that uh, disappointing start, we will uh, take a break, listen to a promo for another podcast. When we get back, we're going to look at another MST3K Unrift. This is their second to last MST. Their penultimate, penultimate I can't say oh, that word. Oh, wow. I didn't realize They're, that. Yes, this is their second Penult- to the last episode. Oh. <laughs> I got you. An ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is 1976's Squirm. Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural ghoulish and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. It was a violent summer storm. (laughs) 
millions of volts slashed the earth. That was the worst storm we've had since I was knee-high to a dirt. Folks talked about it and started getting things back to normal when Mick hit town for his vacation. Well, it's straight ahead about five miles. But things weren't normal. There were changes. Ah! Ooh, mother bit me. I never saw one bite like that. Strange, frightful changes. That night, it all started. Stop doing that. I'm not doing anything. This was the night of the crawling terror. American International presents Squirm. They came from everywhere. Millions of writhing, seething creatures oozing out of the mire to feed on human flesh. You don't dare move. Oh, no. Terror grips every nerve in your body. You want to scream, but you can't. Your heart beats so fast, it feels like it's going to burst. experience in pure fright. Yeah, Squirm 1976 was written and directed by Jeff Lieberman. A storm knocked down some main power lines, sending millions of volts of electricity into the ground. The small town of Fly Creek finds itself the epicenter of a bunch of angry carnivorous worms drawn up from the ground. Mick, visiting his college girlfriend Jerry and her family, becomes embroiled in a fight to survive not just the worms, but the scorned worm farmer, Roger, who doesn't take kindly to some city guy coming into town and ruining his plans for he and Jerry. Throw in a distraught widow, a nosy kid's sister, and a womanizing town sheriff, and you have a weekend of slimy mayhem. Starring Dan Scardino as Mick, Patricia Percy as Jerry, R.A. Dow as Roger, and Gene Sullivan as Naomi. This is a film that I was introduced to via MST. I don't think, uh, no, I actually know for a fact that I did not watch this film prior to seeing it as a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, I don't think I saw it, let's see, MST ended in what, 99, wasn't it? Something like that. I may not have watched it even the first time. I may not have watched it until probably maybe not until me going through and rewatching all the MSTs. It was one that I thought, okay, I want to see this unrift. And I watched it unrift uh, maybe for the first time a couple years ago. For you, um, I know you, you didn't think you'd seen this one at all. No, uh, eh, um, and that that's a rarity for me. And if it, this is the penultimate uh, episode in there, I said it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that may have been late enough where um, my access to it was uh, lingering. <laughs> so mm. uh, it was, uh, sorry, waning, not lingering. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so I had never actually seen this movie either unriffed or riffed by Mystery Science Theater. So this was my first 
all out and uh, as we prepared for tonight's episode uh, I have managed to watch it unrift director's cut and the mystery science theater you should say director's commentary yeah oh, yes director's commentary not director's not cut. cut thank you of which uh, even after listening to the commentary I don't know that he would go back and do a cut (laughs) (laughs) reboot it though he said he would do that reboot it he would and I really appreciate that I watched the commentary as well and he did point out that there was a lot of budget restrictions that there was moments where you know if he had the money this would be the scene where you'd see these things crawling all over people and crawling up in their face because they, they got like one money shot right. of uh, of Roger after being attacked by the worms where they got the worm actually going up into his cheek and you know really looking gross and he said, yeah, this is where you'd have the whole town just being completely devoured by these things. But he just, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I, there's just no money for it. I got to admit, especially on a movie like this, um, I didn't know how to feel about going into listening to director commentary uh, on this. Because I'm like, it's a B-movie horror film. I'm like... And when you learn that this is like the second time he's ever done a film, you're like, okay, he's got to be fairly realistic about what it was that he was doing. And I I couldn't help but grasp right out of the gate um, that, one, he felt Squirm was actually a parody of other horror movies, that he himself was uh, poking fun at the genre with this, yeah, um, that he was a little upset by Mystery Science Theater uh, riffing on it because he felt like he was already riffing on the genre. Yeah, by... how, how do you riff a riff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I couldn't get over the fact that he absolutely refused to call the show by its actual name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he was doing it out of purpose or if he just really didn't know what it was called. It felt like that was on purpose. Like he didn't want to even <laughs> show them enough respect to, to, to get their name right. Because he he did it twice. Once in the beginning and once toward the end. I don't know if I would say that he was really... Maybe, maybe that's something he tells himself. I don't think he was trying to make a parody or anything. He was obviously doing so, sort of... I could see where you could say he was doing homages and stuff to sure. the film. He he claims that things like the the birds was a big influence. Sure. Um, and there are, I mean, and honestly, there's so much of this film. I mean, this film came out in 1976, but really, when I think of films like this, horror films, I think of more to the 80s. Right. With um, all the different, well, all the different, you know, slugs and. Um, there was a, a rash of films through the early and mid '80s that had some sort of, for some reason, some creatures, whether they're alien or mutants or or whatever, that seemed uh, inconsequential, suddenly becomes the big threat. Uh, so really, I feel like he was a little ahead of his time. Well, <laughs> maybe uh, well, he kind of helped start it all. It, it, if you listen to the director's commentary too, he would absolutely agree with you. <laughs> that, that that he well, I think some of it's warranted. I think he does deserve to pat himself on the back to to some extent. I think he did a really nice job in the commentary. He did, uh, kind of walking that line of being like, "Look, no, I I did this stuff first, or I did I was you know 
I, I thought this up or maybe he was early, you know, ahead of the curve a little bit here and there, but he was still very self-deprecating as well and acknowledged that there was a lot that he would have liked to have done. He just didn't have the means. Right. He never, he didn't put that blame on anybody else other than I didn't have the budget. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you, and this is what is fascinating about getting the direct, like, first off, he, the director commentary for this is, it came out as a result of MGM actually releasing the DVD. They've gone back to the, mm-hmm. the, the original film. They've cleaned it up. They put it on DVD, um, gave him an opportunity. So he's doing this 25 years after this movie had come out. So he's even admits as he's talking about, it, he's like forgotten some of the stuff that he's about to talk about. Um, but you do get an appreciation for um, the fact that, at the time, this is a guy making a low-budget film. He's been lucky enough to be given the opportunity to to direct a film that he wrote, but he's going to work on a shoestring budget. So the people in the town are the people in the town. <laughs> I love that. I, I And actually, you got to give a little credit to even the people in this town. He he didn't write them a script. He would tell them roughly what it was that they should be talking about, and he let them talk. What about the cutters? They always have had trouble with those floods. Yeah, they took the brunt of it, all right. Hey, old Molly had to come out on the rowboat. Hey, Jim, I heard the whole electrical tower came down. Yeah, lucky it didn't start a fire. All that juice pouring into the ground. Over 300,000 volts. Well, when are they going to get those lines back up? Before I go out of business, I hope. Yeah, they're sending some men down from states, Bob. We promised to have back up by tomorrow morning. And in the meantime, all that electricity going into the ground. And guess who's paying for it? Here, honey. Uh, I'd like a large egg cream and a glass of water, please. <laughs> well, I've got water, but what did you say? An egg cream? <laughs> An egg cream. It's uh, just chocolate syrup, a little milk, and some seltzer water. A chocolate soda? That's it. And just a little shot of milk to give it a head. Yep, that was the worst storm we've had since I was knee-high to a duck. We had six turkeys up there at the house. They were out in the field, and five of those turkeys was stripped of every feather they had. And the old turkey gobbler didn't have a feather over. Turkey hen stood up there and looked like flapped the wings How's over. How's that, honey? Trying to hide themselves like five old maids. Of course, that was that storm we had about three years ago. All that thunder and lightning. You know what scared them tourists? Slap out of 10 years' growth. You know, I ain't ever seen anybody roaring to get that fast off of that bay. You know, they look like the south end of a northbound mule. (laughs) And it's really great. There's, honestly, you could watch this film. If you just watch this film, you could easily write it off as going, eh, okay, it's a late 70s kind of horror movie. It's all right. Uh, I actually found myself with a much bigger appreciation for the film, listening to the commentary and hearing these little factoids about, yeah, oh, and this guy back here, yeah, he he just went off and told this whole story, and it was great, and we just kept it all. Like, and, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, uh, as I explained to a coworker that tonight we would be recording, and he was asking me about the film, and I mentioned uh, we 
we watched the Squirm, uh, 1976, and that we had committed to watching that, the, uh, the commentary and the Mystery Science Theater. And he actually asked me at the time, so which one did you like better? And I actually said, I liked the unriffed original cut. Like that. Oh, uh, really? Uh, the director's commentary gave more an appreciation, but I admit uh, watching that film, and I started in that order. I watched the film, I did the, t- uh, I did the Mystery Science Theater, and then I did the commentary. Um, but I actually found the unedited, the unedited for TV and all that. Um, but the actual film itself, I actually found to be a fairly solid film all the way around. It it really is. I imagine this one easily gets dismissed because it's about worms. Sure, that's that's your villain. It's worms. I mean, really, um, but he takes some of the nastiest damn worms I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe these things actually exist, yes. like in nature. <laughs> These are frightening worms. They are. <laughs> um, they're real. <laughs> yes. I think it is a very solid little horror film. I think it's got just the right amount of sort of that... Uh, there's enough kind of goofy humor. Sure. Maybe a little too much. Uh, I think the uh, the main character, or one of the main characters, Mick, is a little too... Uh, What's the word? It's hard to just take them serious, I guess. I, I love that that was supposed to be the urban guy in the uh, in the country town. It did make it a little more difficult because it, it did play on standard tropes. The 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 northerner, the the city boy, comes to the country, and the country folk don't want to hear from the city boy. Um, right. To the point where they play over the top the whole relationship between the the town's sheriff and, and him. And for there to be that much animosity over the city boy come to the country, this is the nerdiest city boy <laughs> ever. <laughs> He's not... Nothing about him exudes troublemaker. And yet the town behaves as if somehow this guy... It is the biggest bane to visit <laughs> this place in right. forever. The actor could have easily been um, one of the guys that didn't get the job for Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, yes, so maybe his character, maybe not the strongest. Um, but overall, no, I, I think this does this film does actually work. It's actually kind of fun. I mean, it is, it, if you do not like creepy crawlies, this is not the film for you. This is a good one to make you uncomfortable. Uh, yes. <laughs> there are plenty of moments that are, uh, frankly, pretty disgusting uh, when it happens <laughs> uh, and or when they happen. And there are moments that you may not see, but you definitely get the impression that, you know, there's something terrible happening and you can, you know, your imagination can fill in the gaps. And, and yes, there is an entire room filled with worms pulsating all over. It's like, that's disgusting. That's uncomfortable. And for the most part, they're real worms. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was one of the things where the commentary does come into play because he fully admits they... They cleaned out every reserve of worm that they could get in, in the Northeast at the time to the point where the next year there 
fishermen went without bait because yes. they collected like over 250,000 worms to, to be in this. At a time, I think they hit, they did multiple shipments. Right, yeah, so, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> there's a lot of actual real worms that are in this, and, and these are not, these are not earthworms, folks. <laughs> these things no, have these teeth. These are called, uh, <laughs> these called are Glycera fishing worms. You want to Google that, but be warned. <laughs> Even before listening to the commentary, um, everything that then got reiterated in the commentary is part of what I took away from the watching the unadulterated film, which is they it was very effective about okay it, it told you right out the front this is going to be scary worm movie right out of the gate I mean they, they, right down to the Star Wars esque scrolling text that's telling you what's about to happen um but during that the you can't the whole movie can't be just that you're not just gonna throw it into the action of worms eating people and such so you have to get there and you have to take the audience on the ride and as he described very aptly what he was trying to do is he's trying to build that B story that it's the relationship between um, the lead, the two lead people and the little mystery that they're trying to solve as they realize, as we, the audience know, okay, the worms are doing stuff, but the people in the movie don't know that yet. So right. they're, we're following them on their discovery right up until we get to the great action sequences toward the end where the worms go nuts. Yeah, uh, Lieberman called it all his uh, the Nancy Drew moments. The Nancy Drew <laughs> moments. Yeah, he had a very solid Nancy Drew story going on. Obviously, the audience knows what in the end is going to be the culprit and everything. But I like the fact that our heroes, we have to follow them naturally uncovering mm -hmm. it. And there's, there's no, uh, you see Timmy <laughs> or there's no, there's no scientist that, you know, the, the college professor comes in and, and, and explains what's happening. No, there's, there's none of that. Yes. It's just ordinary people thrust into this position and they have to try to figure out just what the hell is going on. Because they're involved and they need to know what's happening, and does, is it going to affect them? Are they in danger? Is my friend in danger? What's going on? It's all develops pretty naturally. Mm -hmm. um, about the only thing that you might say kind of jumps a little bit out of that is uh, Mick actually breaking into the dentist's office and finding and going and trying to find the X-rays of for the the match to the skull, and it's like. And you did that in an hour. <laughs> That's impressive. Since you talk about the things that kind of take you out of it, yeah, they're, they're, I could go ahead and get on board with that part. Where, where it loses me a little is like, okay, we have the threat of these killer worms. They, they eat human flesh and such um, because they're all riled up and electrocuted, essentially. So how do you get Roger? <laughs> <laughs> It, it, if they're busy devouring the people that they see, how does Roger get uh, translate into they've burrowed into his face and now he is the human worm advocate? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, 
that's just one of those tick boxes you have to check in a on you, a horror movie. You need a monster, and, and he becomes yeah, a monster. exactly. Yeah. No, there's other minor things like this. I mean, the idea that the power line could could fall and be arcing, and I don't know. You would think someone might shut off the power if they know that there's a, a line down and with millions of volts electricity maybe potentially starting a fire if they don't turn the power off yeah even in the 70s they tended to know when when that I, at the very least somebody from that town would have driven out of the town to mention to somebody that hey there's a down power line <laughs> Because we're all completely without power. Because this did manage to span at least, what, two days? Yeah, at least a couple days. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that seemed a a little little (laughs) (laughs) far-fetched. But it is good to know that, uh, again, this is where the director commentary comes into handy. Uh, He actually has experience with uh, what can be done with with electricity to make worms come out of the ground. It's a real thing. Yeah, didn't he, yeah, didn't he say that the whole, the whole story about um, his dad using a, his a electric train set or uh-huh. something like that, using the transformer from the train set and putting it in the ground and, and making the worms come up is all an actual story that he experienced as a child. Yeah, and he incorporated it almost word for word into the, uh, like Roger retold the story while they were out fishing. Little minor things that I actually really applaud them for. Um, A, using real townsfolk and being lucky enough to get townsfolk that were really good at what they did. They were natural uh, actors. Um, But also, a little bit with some continuity, Mick gets bitten in the arm while they're out fishing. One of the the worms reach out, takes a bite out of his arm. Yeah, There is a mark on his arm for the rest of that movie. I hadn't bothered to, to, to look for it. That's good to know. Because they did point out a continuity issue that they did have that people like apparently like to pick on who watched these things to the nth degree. Because uh, uh, the sheriff's eating spaghetti and apparently a piece of oh, yes. piece of noodle that people are convinced is meant to look like a worm it, when in actuality it just keeps disappearing from the fork. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. There. There is that. But I don't know why I just noticed it. Probably because he gets bit, and then I just happened to notice that there's a red mark on his arm where he got bit, and like a, a scene or two later. And then from that point on, every time I saw his arm, I looked for it, and I'll be damned if there wasn't a mark there. I'm like, wow, okay, that's impressive. I, I must have been watching these too late uh, after watching that movie literally three times in a row over the span of <laughs> three days. I am surprised that I missed that. There are other moments, uh, again, he, uh, Lieberman pointed out that this is not something you could do today. There are times where you, like, to get the worms to do what they wanted to do, they would put them on a steel plate and electrocute them. And, you know, you only get maybe a few seconds before they fry. <laughs> but damn good seconds. <laughs> the uh, They wanted to, to crash a tree through the house. Yes. So they built an extension onto the house and actually dropped a tree through the house with the actors in the structure. Yes, yeah, that, and, and that <laughs> definitely would never fly <laughs> at this point. It probably shouldn't have then, but... No, <laughs> no it's amazing someone didn't get killed. No, and, and this is where I'm going to interject, and, and, and I don't know, I, I cry bullshit, uh, <laughs> but Lieberman, in his commentary, 
swears that uh, he was supposed to have Kim Basinger and <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Martin and Sheen, Martin Sheen in, in the three top roles in the film. <laughs> like Martin Sheen was apparently actually officially attached to the film. Yes, because he provided some direction for him. Before Lieberman decided to relieve him and, and find someone else to, due to what he considered kind of like corrupt kind of creative differences. Uh, Sheen actually had this whole idea. He wanted Mick to be like a, a drama student mm-hmm. coming up from New York, and he would be able to throw out, you know, the occasional... Uh, Alas, poor Yorick. I knew you well. Yeah, yeah, different uh, quotes, uh, you know, theatrical quotes and things like that. Uh, and Lieberman just, I, I guess he just, he didn't want someone coming in and having that kind of think. It just, it wasn't going to work right. for him. And that's why he ended up going and finding uh, Dan Scardino. Maybe he did have all of these opportunities, but that seems like a rare thing. <laughs> yeah, from what I read, uh, Stallone was indeed like wanted to be uh, Roger. He was going to be the Roger character, um, but it, you know it, it it didn't it didn't happen. Um, I do love the fact that the actor R. A. Dow, who played Roger, was a, a method actor. So he went down to this town in Georgia and lived there for several weeks to kind of get into the role and pick up all these little uh, these like uh, local. Uh, euphemisms and things and the, so the way he talk and he acted I'm like there's so much really good stuff that went into this film and it's 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 a shame that it becomes sort of a um a, well it's a shame that it turned into a bit of a joke it really should be looked at as a proto fill in the blank horror movie not the oh low budget haha it's worms movie in fact, at this point, uh, looking at some of Lieberman's work and after listening to his commentary, all that, I, I, I feel we have a, a, a future film to add to the list because we're going to need a TV movie again at some point. And he directed one called Dr. Franken. That was a... Dr. Franken. Dr. Franken all right. was a made-for-TV movie. Uh, so I... Totally think we're going to have to visit that because if for any other thing else, uh, I can recommend anyone. It's kind of fun listening to Lieberman talk about the film, too, because he is just kind of uh, like between being proud and 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 being realistic about what it was that he made. uh, So he's humble about it, too. So uh, it, it, it. it plays out well, and you actually do get a lot more appreciation for the fact that this this is better than you really expect it to be. And he he's very good about admitting that he, he was the Jew from New York and Georgia right. making a movie about carnivorous worms. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I like that he, he did. He took, at the times when it was appropriate to do so, he got out of his own way. He he is mm-hmm. the the guy from New York making the this film about a small country town in Georgia. So don't try to tell them how to be small country town folk. <laughs> Let them be them. The uh, the woman that played uh, Jerry's mother 
put on a really thick, ridiculous accent. She did, yes. Which was apparently uh, her homage to like Tennessee Williams or something like that. And uh, Lieberman admits that he's like he he really should have asked her to tone it down. He just he was young and stupid. <laughs> so yes, I think is how he, he put it. He took that. There's missed opportunity with the mother character as well because, um, as he mentioned in the commentary, but was obvious in, in the film. I I did get that she was essentially damaged. That ever since her husband had died, that she is not quite the same person she might have been. I, I took right. that away, but but I was invested enough to get that, and I don't think the general audience would necessarily understand why she's as ridiculous as she is, or why everyone mm-hmm. else is treating her like she's not allowed to know anything. Right, yeah, they, they, they do treat her with, with kid gloves, walk on eggshells around her. Um, they treat her as she's very fragile, because she probably is. I mean, she's probably had a nervous breakdown after the loss of her husband. And he successfully communicated that. Uh, like, if you didn't get it early enough in the film, uh, there, there's the scene after Roger has already uh, uh, taken the worms to the face. Uh, but they're supposed to sit down to family dinner, um, and she, the mom is really excited at the notion of there being a couple of men in the house. Um, mm-hmm. And she's very stuck on that. And it, it's if you didn't get it up to that moment, you understand that something has something has shifted her life, and something as simple as having a couple of guys at the dinner table is a big big deal to her. So. Right. I thought that was effective, and no, very much. But but yeah, he could have probably let in with a little more explanation somewhere. I think there are just small comments here and yeah. there by Jerry or Naomi, um, and maybe even the sheriff uh, mentioning something about something that had happened in the past, right. or something about you know since since your daddy died or something like that. So I, I think it's enough is there. So you can definitely, if you're paying attention, if you're actually watching the film, I think there's enough there. Right. Without having any kind of long, drawn-out scene or flashback or any other ridiculous uh, trope. Yeah, the only only reason I would suggest any change in adding maybe a hint more, especially if you want that to stick with the audience, is you are there to watch a movie about killer worms. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Subtlety over the mama's backstory is maybe something you're already prone to missing. Yeah, the good good point. It is just kind of a, just a fun horror movie. It's not a horror movie. It's not heavy on the gore, which I like. I appreciate a good gore effect and everything, but if you overdo it, I'm I'm out. You know, I'm not out. I'm just not interested. Right. You know, you okay? Yes, yes. You've pulled out his guts for, again. I get it. So in that regard, I kind of like the fact that they only could do the one shot of the worms attacking somebody and not having the whole town folk, you know, covered with them. I kind of appreciate that for this one. It just makes it uh, a more enjoyable, a more fun watch for me. Mm-hmm. I I liked the characters and the little bits pieces that we get from the characters again without going into great depths about 
oh, let me tell you about how I met Jerry. You know, no, it's just mentioned as a little, you know, how do you know this guy? Oh, we met at this. That's all you needed. Right. You know, that, okay, good. Moving on. I like this movie. I'll just say it. I, I'm, I'm even going to point this out. And, and kudos to Lieberman for this as well. This is 1976. You're talking about a backwater Georgia town, right? At no point did I feel like these characters were disrespected as such. Yes, they they had a small life, but they were not portrayed as idiots. They were not No. They they were they were clearly on the poorer side, but at no point did it seem like we were being overly disgusting about pointing out how how lower income that they they are like the how the house is functional it's there it's not falling apart but it's not the greatest thing in the world um the people in the area they they live a simple life they have simple things but we're not belittling any of that and i really kind of like that a lot no absolutely i i think i mean there were people that were made fun of for being the individuals, there was times when, you know, Mick would make fun of the sheriff or something for, um, but it's because the sheriff was being the way he was. The, yeah, there was no, no one was, was demeaned in any way uh, for being the, 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 in this small Georgian town. No one was played for the fool. They were just, they were making their living and doing their jobs. And no, you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but you're absolutely right. And that is very refreshing for a film of this time that you would expect them to all be treated like a bunch of hayseeds. Right. To use the a term that um I like that they that someone coming from the that coming from the big city might think of them. Well, and and that's what was uh, really refreshing about the uh, the character Mick too. I mean, he's supposed to be the guy from the city. Um, at no point were we making a commentary that living an urban lifestyle versus a country lifestyle was one was better than the other. In fact, I've really kind of he Lieberman pointed it out in the commentary, but I, I giggled at it too when uh, when they did that gag, which is. Uh, after finding two dead bodies in, in this small town, and Mick just goes, you know, people talk about New York. <laughs> <laughs> two dead bodies in one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I love that it poked fun at the, you know, <laughs> things are exciting other places than New York. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that's a good thing yeah, or a bad is, thing is left up to, to one's perspective. Yeah, and this is 1976 New York, which is a very different New York than it is today. This is the uh, don't go to Times Square with a family New York. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and, and I'm really kind of sorry we didn't see more out of the actress, uh, but Patricia Piercy... In the in the role, what was her as Jerry? She, mm-hmm. she was absolutely awesome. She was very good. I really liked her, and she is apparently from Texas, so she has kind of a natural Southern uh, twang to her. So that is not uh, anything she was putting on. Um, no, she was very good, very natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she needed to be scared, she looked legitimately scared. Uh, she she looked amused. I mean, she, no, she was a very natural actress. 
And since you didn't fully understand the boyfriend-girlfriend component of this, not that they made a big deal out of it, or whether or not they were really an item or just whatever, but uh, there's just this, and the actress pulled this off so well. There's this little innocent scene after they finally get back to that. She's collected Mick. Um, he's had his little uh, run-in with the sheriff in town. Uh, he's found the worm in his drink. And quite frankly, if they said egg cream one more goddamn <laughs> time, I was going to lose my mind. Um, but uh, aside from that, they get back. She's finally at the house. Um, they put the block of ice away in the refrigerator. And there was just that cute little scene where he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm here to see you. Uh, so he does this little cute little thing where he he stops her from talking, leans in, takes a little kiss and asked her how she's doing, and in her little southern twang, she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and it, was it, just, was. it was just so adorable, and, and I'm like, it was perfect. It was the perfect place for it. It was a nice little scene. You could see any little couple maybe doing that. It was yep. great. I nope. loved it, and she she pulled that off. Really, they, they, they both did. As, as much as you know, kind of stick I give uh, Dan Scardino or his character for Mick and everything, I think he, too, uh, did a pretty good job with what he had to do in this film. And he was very good with uh, Patricia. Again, uh, kind of almost advanced for 1976. The, this, is the, this is the cute country redhead, and this is a nerdy guy from New York, I guess. And, and, and they're the couple, and that is not the usual mixing that you see, certainly not in 1976. Right. Not, not when it comes to a... a big screen film yeah shouldn't he have been the big strapping you know hi i'm rick rock slab (laughs) i'm dirk pex (laughs) yeah no that's kind of what you're expecting the the here these are your heroes of the film and they're the least likely heroes that you would see Mm -hmm. that's ahead of its time too just real briefly mention a gene salvin who played the little sister naomi um I thought she was really nice too. The way they did her, where she was, you know, the younger sister, but she was at that age where she really wants to be, you know, the grown up. And you know, she was trying yeah. to dress as she, she's wearing like the uh, the shoes that make her, you know, six inches taller than she really is. And even though she can barely walk in them, she wears them through the whole film, uh, just because it, she feels like it makes her, you know, feel older. Uh, she she does you know she's trying to do the. the I think you're looking for Fran. Higgins. Was it Fran Higgins? I thought it was Gene Sullivan. I'm sorry. Gene Sullivan. Is oh, sorry, I wrote down the wrong uh, the wrong name. Say the name again. Uh, it's Fran, Fran Higgins, Higgins. My mistake. Plays Alma. Sam. Who? Alma. I thought it was Naomi. Naomi is the the mother. I'll take your word for it. One of those actresses, the younger one. The sister's name was Alma. She was played by Fran Higgins. And yes, this is like, this is the only thing she's done. Really? Nah, she was, I thought she was really good. They did a really nice job with her. I mean, she's doing, she's putting on makeup and everything, trying to make herself look older. She's trying to make herself look taller. No, absolutely. Uh, And again, uh, Lieberman went on to say, uh, yeah, no, she she improvised. For uh, the first time actress 
apparently only time actress, according to IMDb. She improvised some of what she did um, right down to things like uh, the magazine swaps on the uh, on the tables so that uh, when when the boy came came home, she right. looks more sophisticated and all that. I mean, that was cool. Excuse me for not getting her name right, but absolutely need to mention her. <laughs> that, that's what's really kind of makes this one a diamond in the rough. I mean, you think about all the little elements. The, the, the guy that plays um, oh, I'm, uh, Roger's dad. Another townsfolk, um, wasn't he? Them crates is all empty. Every damn last damn one of them. But I never left the truck. Except to get us. That's strange to me. I didn't let him know. Well, if you didn't, then who did? How many worms were there? I can tell you how many worms there was. There was 100,000 worms. Cost me over $300, sonny boy. Look, Roger, maybe the door was loose and you forgot to close the crates. Damn right he forgot. He'd forget his head if it wasn't fast. He doesn't have his mind on business at all these days. Look, I'm trying to run a business. And you will not, will not lend my truck to nobody, no time, no more. It's going to take me the rest of the week to replace those worms. If I can replace those worms. You're going to dig deep, buddy boy, and I mean deep. Down to your toenails. He's just a town's guy. He was, again, just given some, hey, I need you to talk about this. And he came up with the dialogue. And then the the story about uh, when we get to find him dead yes. later, and they basically dug a hole so that he was standing up in the hole so that it's his head on the dummy body <laughs> so that they could have the worms crawling around in the chest. And <laughs> they're just feeding him southern <laughs> comfort. <laughs> Because he's got to be in the hole for six hours, and that's the thing that he wants to keep him relaxed. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, everything about the, the this is like... Lieberman had to be about the luckiest son of a bitch when it came to, to making this. Everything about this says it should have gone wrong, and horribly wrong. And it didn't. It, it, was, it was really good. So I think you can take it from of how we've talked that Squirm is absolutely a film you can watch unriffed. In fact, we've barely talked about the MST version because honestly, it's easily forgettable. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I was hoping we didn't wrap before we discussed the fact that me being a huge Mystery Science Theater fan, I didn't care for the episode at all as far as them. There wasn't really a joke that landed the lat the the one and only one, and I did it at the start of this, and because we don't have video along with our audio track, <laughs> you didn't get to see it, folks. But at the beginning, when they put Squirm up on the screen, uh, Mike Nelson says, "Well, if you insist," and then the three of them all squirm uh, <laughs> <laughs> down below, and that's the last funny thing that really yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's no really great riffs. The scenes in between, you know, the interstitials. Yeah, the bumper pieces. Aren't memorable. I can't think of a single one. It, it's just, it's a forgettable episode. Actually, the funny thing, and uh, uh, because, like I said, I hadn't seen it, and I even looked again, and it's not available through Shout Factory is one of the ones that you can just play at will. Mm. Um, 
But interestingly enough, the short that they play at the beginning of the thing about the, uh, oh, the springs. Right. <laughs> I remember that um, more than I do the other the, the whole film. Right, and, and that has made it into specials where they just do their shorts, and the uh, and, and that part's actually kind of funny. Maybe it's a testament to Squirm being an actually decent film that didn't have too much to pick on. I mean, yeah, it, it's a killer worms. There's there's stuff to joke about, but they couldn't really land a killer joke because it was well done. Yeah. I, I think that was the that you're right. That may be the problem here. If there was an issue, if there was a thing with the film where it was you you could see someone pulling a worm with a fishing line or something like that to make it move, or you know you could um, you could tell that it was a uh, you know, rubber or something like that, uh, they might right. have had something, but you couldn't. This film was actually competently made which is not something that you usually yes. find on a film on Mystery Science Theater. No, exactly. And, and it reminds me of the same reason why I, um, I remember desperately wanting to go to uh, to see when they actually had their only theatrical release when they did the riffing on This Island Earth. Right. And I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened during that film because, once again, I think the better the film was that they went to pick on, the less memorable it is because either you've already made your own jokes in your head about what you've seen or they're they're not telling you anything you don't already prepare to know, so there's nothing that lands. Right. So I, I think this has that quality. Is it, There's actually a decent film here, and mm-hmm. they couldn't land a joke. This is one of those ones where you're, I'm not sure how they managed to get a hold of the rights to even do the riff on this <clears throat> one. Um, it probably had something to do with their association with Sci-Fi Channel at the time. Uh, you know, Sci-Fi probably, uh, NBC or whatever, had, uh, had gotten the rights to the film and went, yeah, yeah you can use this one, sure. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> you got how many episodes left to make? Oh, here you go. Yeah, yeah here's, here's one. You do this one. Um, yeah, no, I would uh, definitely skip the MST. Um, go and watch the film. And if you get the, uh, if you get the DVD, watch the commentary. You know, I, I, I'm about to say a reboot or a sequel uh, would, from Lieberman would be fun. But I don't know if it would take away from it. Because, I mean, he did. He got incredibly lucky with, with, with everything that happened. I mean, what little budget that he had, the, he pulled off the effects that he could. Um, he got the worms. He's, he even said, I could probably do some of those better now with CGI. But I'm like... It might Mm-mm. actually take away. I like it. It some of it is endearing, endearing because it was done on the cheap and it's still effective. Right. Yeah. No, I would be very so. disappointed to see something like this done with a lot of CGI worms. Yeah. Maybe you could get by with it with you know long shots or maybe like you know the when the the entire floor the rooms filled with them. No, I I like the idea that it's just you know a floor made out of plywood with a bunch of Boy Scouts underneath pushing them up and down. It's just I I like that. I, I that's what I want to see. I don't want to see them as CGI. Well, and I I, I don't want to see them ha- either get a pool of professional extras to to play all of the uh, the character parts. Town folk, or- yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it was so effective the way that it they played it out that to do it any other way would be almost disingenuous. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. No, if anyone was if anyone was going to reboot this, I would want it to be Lieberman. And you sure. know, if he made that decision to go with CGI or whatever, I, I would let him him do it. I wouldn't want to see anyone else do it. You know, he he did it the first time. If he still wants to go out and direct a film and, and, and do something, I want it to be him. Okay, show me the scenes that you wish you could have done better. And the ones that you think worked really well, just do what you did. Try to do what you did before. But, you know, before we wrap our conversation on this, yeah. I almost think maybe we need to put it out to the folks. Go out and watch this. And tell us what the man at the end of the film actually says. Hey, excuse me. I thought your lovebirds might want to know the power's on, tower's repaired, everything's good as new. Which direction is nearest town? Okay. Hope you got plenty of coffee. I could drink five gallons right now. Strangest thing. Lines back up. Nobody leave answered damn telephone. We talked about this offline before we started recording. Uh, so there, there is another local. He is the last of the locals. <laughs> I, I think I can just about make most of it out. It, it works out to something like, hey, you two lovebirds up there, just to let you know the lines are back or up. And, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, you're, you're good up to that point. But as he's about to, he starts babbling something about coffee. <laughs> and he starts wandering back to the truck and he's still talking um, <laughs> and it, it becomes completely unintelligible <laughs> uh, I'll, to, I'll have to uh, watch it again I think I can probably pull most of it out yeah see uh, since you're a little further back on your original watch and Lieberman is talking during uh, this guy's <laughs> thing you gotta go back and watch the original and I where uh, it's uh, you might need some closed captioning. <laughs> uh, they probably wouldn't be able to fill it in, fill in the blanks either. It may come up in parentheses. Country gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that will do it for Squirm. Next time when we come back, we are going to go back to our made-for-TV movies. And this time we're going to go to one of the made-for-TV movies that's almost historically significant. This was one of those made-for-TV movies that I think everyone was talking about when it actually aired. We're going to watch The Day After. Um, I don't recall the year, now that I mention it. 80s? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was definitely <laughs> 80s. One sec. 1983. So this should be interesting because I know I have not watched this since probably 1983. Yeah, uh, I, I almost want to say that for that sh brief stint uh, in school that maybe I watched it, but m only parts of it. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I, I don't think I've seen this since about the original, and I know there's been plenty said about it. Uh, quite frankly, we should post it and get reaction ahead of time, too. Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely will. So I hope that we will have some uh, good memories of people in their younger days having watched this on television. Because Being if they're anything like... their mind. Yeah, if they're anything like me, it freaked them the hell out. Yeah, absolutely. 
So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. Tom, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed this film. I was hoping you would. I'm glad you did. Yeah, no, this was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I, I, when, when I saw the worms in the hick town, and like, uh, this gun's going to be brutal, but it was so much better than I was expecting. Uh, it yeah, was that's great. good. That's that, that makes me happy. When I can bring a film that I know that by description and title, you're going, God, why is he making me watch this? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can come back and say, no, I enjoyed this one. Uh, that, that makes me so happy. I always like a challenge and, and <laughs> pleasantly surprised when it works out. Excellent. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye, all. See ya.